That was a lot of verses. And we trimmed it back a little. There's 25 verses in the total text today, which, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to cover every bit of that. And uh, you'll just be here till one, so dig in. Actually, we're not going to have all, the, all of them on the screen, but I will try to cover it all. Um, how many saw the recent sci-fi uh, movie with Chris Pratt, Tomorrow, The Tomorrow War? Anybody, anybody watch that? Eh, it was okay. I heard good things, so I watched it. I wasn't, wasn't horrible. It was just a typical sci-fi thing with future travel into the future and the past. Like there's this uh, alien invasion, which basically are like some alien spacecraft with the, 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 anim- the ferocious animals of the aliens that, that just start killing everyone and eating them. And uh, so naturally, the best solution for that is to send people into the past, uh, which they do. They send them back to our time. And they start this, this thing where they, they are sending all these people from our time into the future to, to try to kill the aliens, which are almost unkillable. I know that's not really a word, but um, yeah, they can't, they can't be killed. Like only 30% of the people make it back after just a seven-day trip into the future. They don't even take, they're so desperate. Like the, it, it is so bad. It's such a, a, a sort of extinction event kind of thing that they're willing to take anyone. They're taking people over 40 years of age. I mean, old codgers like me, you know, are going into the future. They haven't had any training. They just drop them in. But that's the level. It's that serious. It is, it is a catastrophic uh, kind of event. When we look at the imperative to take the gospel to the world, something very similar is going on. And so the big idea today, you've got it there in your bulletin, proclaiming the kingdom is catastrophically imperative. How do you like that for a mouthful? It is catastrophically imperative. And you might say, well, that's a strange way of putting it. But what I'm saying there and what I think the text is really, the bottom line of the text is that it is so critically important. We're dealing with matters of life and death, and more than that, we're talking about eternity, the eternity of a person's soul. It is heaven and hell. It is of that nature, so it is uh, catastrophically necessary, i.e. imperative, that we proclaim it. Acts 5, uh, 5, 17 through 42, uh, second and third time the apostles are arrested as we look at it here. Everything is accelerating. The Jewish leadership is, and you can just watch it. We were in our ABF earlier, and we were going over a passage from chapter 4, and there's just so many similarities. But what you're seeing from arrest to arrest is that they just, they just amp it up all the more. Because what they're trying to do is stop the kingdom. They're trying to stop it in its tracks. Well, there are five tremors that demonstrate the, um, the severity of this. And the first of these is that Christ's kingdom threatens a way of life. It did then, it continues to do so today. I trust that you have your Bibles open. You're going to need them open because, like I say, uh, just because of the length of the passage, I'm not going to keep putting them up there and reading through them. But um, the first thing that, that you get to in, chap- in chapter 5, 17 through 18, is that the high priests, who are um, the Sadducees and others, they are the power brokers, and, uh, and they, uh, you know, they control the temple, and they see their power threatened here. They, they see the apostles as threatening their power because they're coming into their temple. I'm just looking for a place to put this book while I'm up here. There you go. Um, it, it, is, it is their house, you know? 
It, it is the Sadducees. I know that you had Pharisees and, teach, and others, but the Sadducees were really the power brokers. They were the ones that controlled the temple court. They were the ones that compromised with the Romans, and they see all of this happening in front of them, and they freak out. They arrest the, the apostles. They take it. Before it was Peter and John, you remember that? At the healing of the lame man? Now implied is that they arrest all 12 of them. Matthias is starting to think back and going, did I really want to win that coin toss? Because they get all 12 of them in there. Seems the earlier time when they were arrested that they were put under some form of house arrest. You may recall that at the time I pointed out that it seemed from the language that it was more like they were stuck in a room and they had guards outside just to keep them from going anywhere. Now it says they're put into public prison. Aren't you glad that you've never had tyrannical power like the, like the high priests and the Sadducees had? Have you ever thought of how you would misuse that? I would have misused it, I, I, I'm, I'm sure. Can you imagine like if you were like Samantha in Bewitched? Nobody's heard of Samantha in Bewitched. Um, how, how about uh, Wanda Maximoff? We'll, we'll go with a modern, modern application. I, uh, thank you, John, for help on that. I was like, who is, who is the modern equivalent? So we got to her. Um, but if you could just sort of you know, wiggle your nose or think a thought, what would happen to your enemies? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> like, gosh, I'm really sorry I killed that person, just in, in, if our thoughts could do that. But th these people, the rulers of the Jews, are so powerful in that setting that they can kind of do anything they want to, and they arrest the apostles. Preaching Christ will summon the hounds of hell. It will summon the hounds of hell to resist you. You can take that to the bank. Now, modern society fools us, especially the modern society in America, even though we're starting to feel the resistance. But we can get the idea as Christians that we can live nice, placid, happy lives, long, enjoyable lives, where we just, we have it all, and, and, and nobody ever, you know, causes us any harm. That's not how it works when you are a Christian, when you, when you preach the gospel, we have to count on pushback. It happens because we are threatening them. If we are proclaiming the gospel, understand the gospel challenges and threatens the world around us. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? We keep mentioning the, the phrase, and there's so many of these, but we keep mentioning the phrase, the kingdom of God. Just think about that alone. The book of Acts is about the advancement of the kingdom of God. What happens when you have a kingdom generally going back into history? What usually happens if you have a kingdom? How did the kingdom come into being and how did it keep its power? By fighting all the other kingdoms, right? It, it, it's politics. It's it, like if, if, if you're, and I don't mean American politics left and right, but I mean it is, it is sort of a political thing in that we follow the king of kings and anyone that isn't with him is essentially against him. And so the more the kingdom advances, the greater will be the forces in response against us because it threatens a way of life. It threatens their way of life. Second tremor here, is, we feel, is that Christ's kingdom, Christ's kingdom advance cannot be contained. Now you're, we're looking at verses 19 through 26. How important is it to the Lord that his kingdom advances? Pretty important, wouldn't you say? 
It's his kingdom. He's going to make sure it doesn't die in the bud. So he is, he is, he's even willing to deploy angels at this point. In this apostolic period, God sends angels several times to make sure of the advancement of the gospel. The, the, the apostles, I take it to be again all 12, are sitting in prison. This now, they've upped the ante like we said. There's, there's bars, there's guards in front of the barred doors. And, um, and the angel comes in. It's not, a, it's not as descriptive as a little later on when Peter you know, gets rescued by the, by the angel. It's, it's a little less information, except that we are told that the angel comes and he opens the prison doors and, and he frees the apostles. The funny thing is, he doesn't free them in order to get them out of harm's way. Wouldn't you think that would be the natural thing? That if, you're going to, if somebody has just gone to jail for preaching the gospel at the temple, then the first order of business is just to take them, suck them out. You're an angel, you can do this, right? Just drop them down on top of a mountaintop. They can be fed for ra- by ravens, and, uh, and everything will be good. But what does he tell them? Hey, guys, hey, I rescued you. Woohoo! All right, here's the plan, right? Okay, go to the temple. What? Yeah, go to the temple. We just got arrested there. Go back and, and proclaim the gospel. Go back, and, sh- and, and I love the way it's, it's phrased here, that, um, that they would share the words of life. The very thing that got them into trouble in the first place gets them into trouble again. And they are to go, according to the angel, and um, share these words of this life. I brought this book along really quickly. Um, is this print too small for you to read? Okay. I'm just pointing something out that's kind of interesting. This is a little overview of the book of Acts that, that I read as I was going into uh, my prep on this. But if you can just, so this on this page starts here, right? You tell it's fine print. All right, then the next page, then the next page. You get a sense of it. Those are all the different ways that Luke talks about the gospel and talks about preaching the gospel. Isn't that crazy, just the, the, the variety of it? I, I love that. Um, it, it, here it is speaking the words of this life. He means go, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the kingdom, preach Christ, Use words, the words that lead to eternal life. Now, why if you've just made it, uh, I'm putting it back into the Tomorrow War thing just for a moment, if you allow me that. Uh, it's not going to be the Battlestar Galactica sermon, don't worry, some of you. But uh, if, you, if you put it in that, it, this would be like if somebody had just, they could only go for like, they were only to go for seven days. If they survived seven days, they got to come home and then they were done, right? But one guy kept going back, and it's like, why? Why, when you've just been through this horrendously traumatic battle experience, why would you ever want to go back? This is like if you took the apostles and dropped them into the queen's lair, you know, and said, okay, apostles, I want you to go over there and poke her in the eye. Go poke the bear, see what happens. That's kind of like what's going on. The only reason you would do that is if you just saw the sheer importance of it. If you understood the stakes, that would be the only way that you would do that. Luke is a very good writer. I wonder, I wonder, not wonder like question, but wonder like stand in awe of Luke's ability to write here. And uh, one of the things he does is he introduces a little bit of humor into the text. Did you catch that as Rick was reading? There's just, there's just a certain amount of, of humor at, at break. 
uh, of day, the apostles go into the temple, according to the plan of the angel, and they begin to teach, but no one knows they're there. Well, I mean, the people that are in the temple hearing them preach obviously know, but like none of the rulers understand what's going on. So, so Luke gives us the background that we know that they're there preaching. Meanwhile, the council gathers, and this is the Sanhedrin, so-called Sanhedrin. Uh, it's also phrased here, the Senate of the People of Israel. I believe that's the only time it's ever called that. Essentially what it is, is you've got all of the rulers of the people. You've got the, the Sadducees, like I said, they were in control of the temple. They were the big dogs, the top dogs, but they had everyone else included. You even have Pharisees there um, in, in this huge gathering. It's like, it's like the State of the Union. That, that's why they have to have a designated survivor at the State of the Union, because you, you have just every single powers. that You have the executive branch fully represented. You have the House of Representatives. You've got the Senate. You know you, you've gone through government, right? You got the, you've even got the judicial branch. Usually you've got all the, the uh, judges on the Supreme Court all sitting in that one place. That's what you've got here is you've just got this incredible gathering of all of the leadership there. Don't ask me what the name of their you know, designated survivor was. I think his name was Shmuley, but don't quote me on that because I absolutely do not know the answer to that. Anyway, so they, at this point, now that they've got everyone together, it's like, okay, and now we're going to set before you the apostles. Quick, go get the apostles. Go get those guys. They probably didn't call them the apostles. Go get, go get those followers of the, of the Nazarene. But we, we, the reader, we understand what's happened. And here's what's interesting. Remember how when, it, when we were told that the angel freed them, it said that he opened the door and let them out, right? That, that's not the exact phrase, but that, that's the idea, right? So they didn't like transport through solid walls. They didn't get made really, really small like Ant-Man and swept up through a hole in the ceiling. He opened the door and he let them out, right? Are you with me? Is that true? You following the text? You Essentially, he opened the door, let them out. And then we read what they say when they get back. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now that's funny, isn't it? Just a little bit. That's a little bit funny. It's almost like the resurrection. That, that Christ is resurrected. They, the, the tomb is empty. They ask the guards what happened. They can't explain it. Yeah, it, it's, this, it's a similar thing, and I, and I just love that. And then as the chief priests are scratching their heads in befuddlement, somebody comes and says, um, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, our temple. That's what they would say, our temple. And they're teaching the people. They're teaching. They're te this, this is their great sin, understand. This is what they want to stop. They're in the temple doing the one thing and the only thing that they absolutely must not do according to these rulers. There's not to be teaching. At this point, the Keystone cops go and they arrest them a second time. But it says here, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. God's almost making fun of them, isn't he? I don't I mean, there's, there's just something humorous about this. It's, it's almost like a great magic trick. Like God says, okay, up here on this stage today, we have a big cabinet. Uh, who volunteers? Let's put the 12 apostles in there, okay? All right. All right, where are they? They're gone. 
No, they're not gone. They're in the temple. And, and, and they're pre- it's, it's like, what is God saying here by this, by this sleight of hand, if you will? I know it's not magic. It's a miracle. But what does God say? God's saying, I'm in control. I'm in control. And, and, and that this gospel of the kingdom is not going to be stopped by your interference. I'm glad the kingdom didn't get stopped back then, aren't you? How many are kind of glad that it made it through those early days and that simply imprisoning the apostles could not stop that gospel? I'm glad that it got passed down through all of the centuries and that it made its way across the Atlantic with our forebearers and they got here and they established a nation where the gospel could be freely preached. I'm so glad that it got to me. You? Yeah. It's not stoppable, understand. That's the only reason you're a Christian today is because the gospel could not be stopped. And where I want to go with this, how many times have we asked God to rescue us from a really hard situation? And what we're really asking for is, God, take me out of this. I don't want to have to stand. I don't want to have to be bold. It could be all kind. I mean, it could be a work situation. How many of you ever wanted to get out of a work situation because it was just you just thought it was impossible, or a, fam, a family situation, or or school, or whatever the case might be. It might be your neighbor, and you're like, Lord, get me out of this neighborhood. And God doesn't. And you say, God, are you not hearing my prayers? I ask you specifically. To get me out of this, you could send an angel, just open the door, get me out, whatever it takes, Lord, get me out of it. I keep praying this, and you're not doing it. Have you ever thought that maybe in some of these cases that, that God is simply saying to us, you know what? I'm rescuing you to keep you there. I'm not trying to get you out of the temple. I know you got arrested for that. I just want you to go right back into it and do it again because that is the power of my kingdom. That is the power of the gospel, of these words of life that you're supposed to be sharing wherever you might be. As the wise one hit wonder, Chumbawamba famously said, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Ain't, everybody, ain't nobody gonna keep me down, right? Or something to that effect. You don't remember that? Back in the 90s? I'm so old, people don't even remember the 90s references anymore. This is getting, this is getting bad. But anyway, God, I mean, God sends us in there. He doesn't intend for us to collapse. He gives us the strength many times to endure and remain because that's how catastrophically imperative the gospel is. Third tremor, verses 27 to 33, we must stand for his kingdom and accept the consequences. That's Pretty simple and straightforward, wouldn't you say? The council is just doing what they do. It's wash, rinse, repeat over and over again. They're just, they just keep coming at them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach. Now look at what they're, what's important to them. Strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon them, us. Do you see how... It, how their concern has shifted. They, they, they did learn something. They're, they're slow learners, but they learned something. You know what they learned? Don't bring up the whole healing thing. Because they got burned the first time. It's like, how did you heal this lame man? In what name did you do that? And they're like, uh, Jesus. 
like, oh, shoot, we shouldn't have asked that. So they don't bring up the healings that have just been taking place. Remember, we had all of these healings, and people were putting them, people along the street so that Peter's shadow would fall upon them or something like that, and they were driving out demons. They don't even bring this up. All that they criticize them for is teaching in the name of Jesus. Like, that's the one thing we just want you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. You know, there is a gospel that the, um, that the chief priests would have liked. And unfortunately, there are some people who call themselves Christians, and, and they will espouse this very same gospel. You know the gospel I'm talking about, the one that the high priest would have accepted? It goes under different terms, like, um, hmm, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Don't use words. Just show me with your life all that I need to know. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. How many have heard these things and thought, yeah, that is so true. Hey, these high priests, they were totally down with that. They were, they were practically shouting, hey, you followers of Christ. Of, of, and they wouldn't have called him that, of this Nazarene guy. Go heal all the sick you want to. Go drive out all the demons. We don't care. You, can eat, you could stay in Solomon's colonnade. We'll, we'll, we'll compromise. Just zip. This is the apostles. This is what we want to see. Huh? That they would have been okay with. We have a catastrophic imperative to proclaim the gospel, and that means using our mouths. And it goes under so many different terms, like I showed you in that book. I mean, it's preaching, it's teaching, it's speaking, it's proclaiming, all of these. The, the point is we're supposed to open our mouth and tell people about Jesus. We don't want it that way, do we? We just want to live the sermon. None of us are living that sermon. Come on. How many people, if they watched you 24-7, would suddenly understand the gospel? Just asking you. We need, to, we need to move our mouths. We need to speak. I remember Billy Graham said, and I don't know that I heard him say this, but I heard it of him at least, that early in his career he had a chance where he was on a radio show or a TV show, and he wanted to obviously bring the gospel into it, but he just was a little slow on the. And then all of a sudden the interview was over and he hadn't shared the gospel. And he resolved, he said, you know what? From this point onward, every time I'm on TV or the radio, I'm going to make sure I squeeze the gospel in there somewhere. I don't know if you ever saw him on places like Phil Donahue and that kind of thing. He would go into the belly of the beast and Phil Donahue would ask him a question. And invariably, no matter how long or short the interview was, he would, he would mention the basis of the gospel. Look at what Peter does here. They're telling him to shut up, okay? Think about this for a moment. This is the premise here. All right, apostles, shut up. Stop teaching about Jesus. And this is Peter's response. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You ready? The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. Just phrased a little differently, just mildly differently, but what have you got in there? You've got, you've got Christ's death, for his, his resurrection, his ascension. You've got preached that they have to repent and turn to the Lord and that through that they will have forgiveness implied thereby eternal life they, the whole gospel boom just like that here they're surrounded by human powers that are just capable of doing any manner of evil to them and uh, they could have soft peddled it 
wouldn't you, wouldn't you, I mean, I would have been thinking that, that way a little bit, like maybe strategically, we think too strategically. Somebody in our ABF class today said that their, their fault was being too bold, you know, and the rest of us are like, yeah, that's not really my problem here. We're, we're, we think strategically all the time, but they know what is on the line here. They know that it is kingdom against kingdom, and they know where their, their loyalty lies. They will take the consequences, but they're going to share the gospel. Now, the council takes this, i got to give them credit, they take this really coolly, very rationally. It says of their response, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Very cool, very rational. They're like, oh, I'm so enraged, I want to kill you. I think I pictured a little bit differently than that. I mean, they, they've got, you know, their blood is spurting now, their eyes kind of thing. They are absolutely fit to be tied. Now, there are times when we may choose to live to fight another day. That is not always altogether wrong. There are scriptural examples of that. Jesus, on one occasion, because it was not his time, avoided death. The Apostle Paul, who certainly suffered a lot, a lot of different kinds of pain. There were times that he opted right before they're getting ready to beat him and he's like oh by the way is it okay to beat a roman citizen i don't think so please don't um i mean there are times that we can avoid suffering of course but um the point is if christ is lord of your life if if you're a christian contrary to some erroneous teaching if you are a christian in principle you name Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Amen? That means he's the king. You're in his kingdom. He's the king. So know now, understand, where do your loyalties lie if, if you are in that, in that situation where you have no out and where it's, you're being told to just shut up and, and keep your mouth shut about the gospel. Resolve today that you will open your mouth and speak the gospel. You say, well, I'm not gifted. I don't understand. Did you see how simple the gospel explanation that Peter gave was? Don't we, doesn't every Christian know? Okay, Jesus Christ died for sinners. He's buried he was raised on the third day. That sinners like you and me who are under God's condemnation and wrath because God is holy and we are not, sinners like you and me through faith in Christ can be saved. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Any, any, I'm confident anyone in here, maybe not quoting every relevant verse of Scripture, but everyone in here can share that. Fourth trimmer, the fourth trimmer, verse 34 to 39. Men resist Christ's kingdom at their peril. So it's still catastrophically imperative, and here the catastrophe is clear. There was a rabbi among them, a Pharisee. We pointed out earlier that these, the power brokers were the Sadducees, but here's Gamaliel. And uh, Luke is doing one of those things that Luke does where he introduces a character, and then later it'll, it'll pop up again. Because Paul will tell us in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, that this was his teacher. This is the guy, the Pharisee, that taught Paul to be a Pharisee. And, and, and considering our time, I, it's, it's a long paragraph, but it's pretty easy to get to the kind of nut of it, if you will. He, he gives counsel to the council, and, and, and what he says effectively is, look, there were these two guys. Uh, we'll call them Thutis and Judas. We'll call them that because that, were their, that was their names. And uh, they came along, 
And they amassed a following. They thought they were somebody important. Maybe they were the Messiah, whatever, and people followed them, and then they ended up getting in trouble. It was kind of a rebellion situation. They both ended up being put to death. And lo and behold, when they died, nothing came of it. When they died, their followers were dispersed. End of story. But then Gamaliel counsels the council, leave these men alone. If it's of man, then it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. You cannot kill the kingdom, people. You cannot, you, if, because it is of God. And if you oppose the gospel, if you oppose that kingdom, you put yourself on the wrong side of history. Dear unbeliever, if, you, if, if you're listening to me, um, I get it. Some unbelievers are kind of just in a fog and they don't even think about the gospel. They don't even really wrestle with it or go there or, you know, even think about the implications. There are people like that. But some, some unbelievers consider themselves so clever because they've read something on Facebook. And uh, they think they've got it all figured out. And to be really smart, you have to be an atheist. And, and, you're just, and you hate the gospel. You're like, oh, I hate those Christians. I hate that, that gospel stuff. And you're always trying to bat it down and argue against it. And you feel really superior. Let, let me just say something to you. A, for 2,000 years, some of the smartest people, not all the smart people, I'll hasten to say, but some of the smartest people, smart philosophers and, and, and kings and tyrants and, and all of the rest have tried to kill the gospel. And they have failed. From the early Roman emperors, the, 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 the Jewish leaders, all the way to the present, all of those things have failed. You're not going to succeed. You're not that smart. The truth of the matter is, you're, and, and I, myself included, we're just a little, we're just a little speck against a, a, an infinite backdrop, and that infinite backdrop called the universe, God made. He spoke it into existence. Your arms are too short to box with God, as, as is famously said. Understand the seriousness of what I'm saying to you. Feel the tremors, if you will of the message of the gospel, it is catastrophically imperative. And when I say it is catastrophically imperative, I'm saying for you personally, it is the difference between heaven and hell. It is, it is an entire eternity, either with or without God. You need to listen. Finally, the last trimmer. For the sake of Christ's kingdom, we will suffer, but rejoice. This is just a little window of time where they listen to Gamaliel. This listening part does not last long. But for a moment, he sort of wins the day. So they agree, and they just elect to charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Good luck on that. Right. We told you, we told you once, we told you, you stop talking in the name of Jesus. And just for, because you see this amping up, amping up, they decide to beat them. Now, how were they beaten? Short answer, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they used here. One would be tempted to believe that it would be the 40 lashes minus one. Paul endured that three times. If you saw the passion of the Christ, it could have been something close to that. I think if, if it had been that with all 12, one of them probably would have died. But it was serious business. It was serious. And, and as after they've been beaten, it says... That, that they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And I, I have always loved this passage. 
Do you ever in your imagination imagine suffering for Christ as a martyr? You ever, do you ever play that out? I see a lot of furrowed brows like, no, why would I think about that? I, I guess of my whole life I've always thought, you know, what would that be like and how would I, how would I respond? And I read this about them rejoicing and, and, and I love that. I love that picture. I, you know, I was raised in the uh, spare the rod, spoil the child philosophy, so they thought, my parents must have really thought I was spoiled because, um, yeah, they did not spare. I wasn't abused except by modern uh, definitions. Um, it was just considered child-rearing back then. But I look at this and I go, I've never experienced anything that even remotely comes close to what, what the apostles must have experienced. And I picture them sort of being half carried by one another, you know, kind of arm in arm, and maybe some of the other disciples coming in there and trying to get under an armpit and give a little support. And as they're leaving the temple, you hear them shouting praises to God. Because in that moment, with their bodies traumatized, in all of the pain that they're physically feeling, they, they somehow grasp the fact that this was an awesome privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. And they're, they're elated. In their, they, they rejoice in their suffering. The final words are so perfect because it just brings back the theme that we've kind of been looking at through all of this. Um, what was the one thing they kept telling them not to do? What was the one thing that kept bothering them? Teaching, right? Teaching, proclaiming, telling. Look at it here. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I love that. I love the pluck of those guys. You know, I love the chutzpah. Whatever, you give it any word you want to give that, that means one of those things. But yeah, I, I, it is just amazing. They kept trying to shut it down. They kept imprisoning him then. Not a hiccup. They might have gone home and gotten a, a little uh, tribiotic ointment or something and some band-aids, but they're right, they're right back into the temple preaching. And I love that. I love it. Um, that's part of the Christian life. Not necessarily getting beaten. Maybe you'll never get beaten for Christ. I don't know. But, but suffering for him. Suffering for him is supposed to be the norm. Don't know if you remember the good old cartoon Super Chicken? Crickets chirp now. It's part of the George of the Jungle series, in case you can remember the name George of the Jungle. But anyway, Super Chicken was a little chicken, a little scrawny chicken, but he, but he had superpowers when he drank his super sauce. And he had a sidekick named Fred. Fred was a lion, but Fred was always, he'd always end up getting beat to a pulp. And in every episode when Fred would get beaten to a pulp, Super Chicken would famously look at him and say, Well, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. It is, it, it, it is dangerous. Suffering for Christ is expected, but it is a privilege. It is a privilege. We know that this kingdom of Christ will and must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. We know that it is of eternal importance. We know that it's not optional. It's not an optional part. Lordship of Christ is not an optional part of the Christian life. It is an accepted part of the Christian life. And yes, if we are blessed like the apostles someday, and maybe it's happening now, you're just not seeing it this way, but, but we will be blessed to suffer.
for the sake of his name. Maybe right now you just haven't put two and two together. But we talked about it earlier where you pray, Lord, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this situation. And God hasn't done that. Have you ever thought that right now that suffering might be for his sake? But make the most of that suffering. Man, if, I, if you're going to suffer, isn't it better to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus than just for your own mistakes? Yeah? If you don't know Jesus today, I would simply reiterate what I've been saying all the way through, which is, you know, the reason Christians would be willing to suffer is because of the sheer importance of this. This really is catastrophically imperative that the gospel be preached. And look at the words of that, of that gospel. I'll read them again from Peter. The God of our Father raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Christ Jesus died for sinners, hung on that tree, hung on that cross. He was buried. He rose the third day. He ascended to God's right hand. He is that prince, that leader, that, that Christ, that savior. And if we turn, if we turn from the direction we're going and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. These are words of life. I just, I just urge you today, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it is so important. It is catastrophically imperative that you hear and that you respond.